Hey guys, this is David. We wanted to let you know about an exciting opportunity we don't want you to miss out on. We are hosting our annual Awaken Conference Labor Day weekend in Dallas, Texas. Join 4,000 other young adults from all over the country and world to be a part of seeing an awakening of the hope of the world, which is the church of Jesus in our generation. Go to theporch.live to get a ticket before they sell out. Hope to see you at Awaken 2022. Welcome to Views from the Porch, a lifestyle podcast where we have weekly conversations about some of the biggest challenges young adults face today. Our desire is to use God's word and our experience leading thousands of young adults at the porch to challenge you, push you, keep it real with you, and walk alongside you as you navigate your defining years as a young adult. For more info on the porch, visit theporch.live or follow us on social media. And with that, here's this week's episode. What's up, guys? This is David back with another episode of Views from the Porch, joined with the one and only J.D. Rogers. What up? And Mrs. Becca Kepto. Hello. What's up, guys? Hey. You know, not much. How's summer? (sighs) Hot. Yeah, this is my first Texas summer. No one warned me. I mean, I'm from Florida, so I'm used to hot. Isn't it hotter in Florida? I think it's more humid in Florida. Like here, last week, I think it was like 105, 106 when I got in my car. That's not something Mm -hmm. I'm used to. Yeah, that's actually true. What's tough is outside is scorching, but inside Watermark's walls is like an (laughs) iceberg. It is. So you like wear a hoodie to work and people are like, don't you know it's summer? And I'm like, (laughs) yeah, well, it's an igloo in my office. It is so true. It's so stinking cold in here. All right, that's not what we're talking about. What are we talking about? We are talking about the Bible Mm. and the question of, was the Bible written by God himself or by man? And I think a lot of people will hear that and go, well, it's written by man. Like we know the names of a lot of authors of different letters and different stuff in the Bible. But then if you say, well, it's written by man, can it have man, man sinful and man is selfish or man is prideful. And like, what if a man just was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to just add this in here because I think this is true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then you say, well, no, it was written by God. And you're like, well, then what do we make of actual like Paul writing the letter? Then it wasn't written by God. So what had to happen for both to exist? And how can we believe that the Bible, okay, if we're going to say as Christians, hey, your whole life, this is like your roadmap to like loving God, following him, following your purpose and being with him forever. Yep. It better be trustworthy. So how can I, if written by man, trust it? Yeah. So I heard a lot of questions. One yeah. was, hey, is it written by <laughs> God luck. or by man? How can we make sure that it wasn't, you know, written by men who were just trying to get an agenda across? How do we know it was actually, if it was written by God through man? Because the answer to it, was it written by man or written by God? We would say yes. It was written by men under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing about and dictating what God said. It's a little bit like a perfect version of Siri, if you will. You guys know what I'm saying? Whenever there's like dictating on the phone. And if I texted Becca and I said, um, you know, what's the plan for later today? And it translated and said, what's the plan stands way, that would be a breakdown of the communication, right? And so how do we know that didn't happen with the Bible and with God and with Mm -hmm. these men hearing something where it, you know, wasn't perfect. And 
what the scripture teaches is undeniably that God spoke through and directed and guided and is a far greater dictator and guider than Siri is or than any technology is. And men under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, according to Second Peter chapter 1, according to Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, guided and directed the literal words of God, all that are God breathed out or the words of God put on paper and is useful for every single day life. So that's what the Bible says about itself. Now, the question becomes, I think, like, hey, how can I trust? Of, of course, it's going to say that about itself, right? Right. right. In, of course, it's going to say that it is divinely inspired. Mm-hmm. And there's all kinds of arguments, but maybe first what would be helpful is establishing what the Bible is. So the Bible, we call it a book. It's not really a book. It's a collection of, you guys know how many? 66. Boom! Give it to them! <laughs> 66 books, 27 in the Old or New Testament, 39 in the Old Testament, And it's broken down into a lot of genres. It was written on four different continents in three different languages. It is a story that tells one narrative. It's broken down into different genres of law, poetry, prophecy. What other ones? Gospels, history. Mm -hmm. Minor prophets. Minor prophets. Give it to them. The apocalyptic stuff. And so it's this collection of different writings from 40 different authors over 2,000 years that lay out what we believe is God's plan of redemption for the world. And so how do we know that we can trust the Bible is the actual words of God? So I, I think the most simple argument as it relates to the Old Testament is why do we believe that the Old Testament is trustworthy? Would y'all say, and I'll give what I was going to say, I think is the simplest answer. I mean, I could say a lot of things, but I mean, how deep do you want me to get? You get as deep as you want, bro. <laughs> Uh, there's the Dead Sea Scrolls uh-huh. that were found yep. that had scripture from Isaiah in them. And, you know, like... Had a lot of scriptures in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, a lot of people will claim like, well, if the Bible was like copied and copied and copied, written by hand, if like the game Telephone, you know, over time it probably got not written correctly. Yeah. And that disproved it because like in the New Testament and then like later in life, we're like reading copies of Isaiah and then they found the Dead Sea Scrolls and it was exactly the same. Yep. So that's one way. Which were found in the 1940s in a cave in the Middle East and they dated back to hundreds of years before Jesus ever showed up is what he's referring to. Mm -hmm. And prophecies. Prophecies that were fulfilled. Yeah, there's a lot of different things that pointed to Jesus. And then Jesus fulfilled them all in the New Testament. And then I would say the story. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's what you're looking for too, but like the story of the Old Testament all follows the lineage of Jesus. So when you like read Matthew 1 and it has all these people's names in the Old Testament Mm -hmm. and it ends with Jesus, that it's all, um, it doesn't, what's the word? It's all... Linear? What's the word? I'm yeah, it all goes one story. yeah, it all goes like in... Flows in one story? Yes. I think there's one reason, in my opinion, oh. that is the most compelling. It's it's a showstopper, and it candidly is... I don't think it's my opinion, honestly. I think it's a single reason why, as Christians, we believe in the Old Testament. You ready? Ready. Because Jesus did. Jesus said Jonah was a real person. Jesus believed in Adam and Eve. He taught them on multiple times. Jesus quoted the Old Testament 
as much, if not more than any other person that we have recorded in the gospels. And so I think this entire conversation of is the Bible, the literal words of God hinges on Jesus and can we trust the New Testament? As relates to the Old Testament, the reason we believe it and trust it is not because we're Jewish, it's because Jesus did. And Jesus, if what's true is that he predicted his own death and resurrection, he is the son of God, he died, somebody buried him in the ground, and then three days later, he came back alive. If that's true, then as Christians, we just go, man, I just go with whatever Jesus says. I don't fully understand how you can survive. Maybe Jonah didn't, maybe died in the belly of a well and he came back three days later, or he was alive, you know, hanging with the fish the whole time. I don't know, but Jesus said he was real. And I'm just going to go with the guy who can predict his own death, resurrection, actually pull it off because he says, if I believe in him, I'm going to have eternal life. So the reason why we, in a compelling way, can accept and do accept the Old Testament is because Jesus accepted and said that the Old Testament was the words of God. So that's why I think this really focuses in the importance of the argument or the conversation has to move to the New Testament and is the New Testament reliable. And that's where I think the hinge of the conversation, in my opinion, should be focused. Because mm-hmm. if we can't trust the New Testament, then we don't know if Jesus actually said what they suggest. And then we don't know if he actually believed the Old Testament. Does that make sense? Yeah. But if we can actually verify, hey, Jesus, the things that we see in the New Testament are accurate and Jesus did actually believe and Jesus did actually teach and did actually say and did actually do, then we can confirm, oh, the Old Testament is good because Jesus said it is. And we know that Jesus said it is because we have confidence that the New Testament hasn't been changed. Okay. Y'all following me? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You look a little confused. No. I'm following you so far. So you're just saying we're going to let the new, we're going to, to inform that the New Testament, Mm -hmm. because the reason why you want to know that the New Testament is true is because the New Testament has the things that are applicable to us today. The Old Testament is a narrative. Mm-hmm. It's history. Yeah. Still has a lot of things we can learn from. Totally. And take from, I actually love the Old Testament. Um, the New Testament, though, will say things like, hey, um, respect your mother and father, or as the church forever, like, so today, um, sexual morality is wrong. Yeah, yeah, And so yeah. I'm going to make a choice based off what the New Testament says I need to do as the church today. I want to make sure it's trustworthy. Yes. So you're just saying, here's how we can know the, the, the Bible, obviously all of it, but the New Testament specifically is trustworthy. Yeah. So to your point, and some of the relevance of the Dead Sea Scrolls is that shoved our Old Testament and the words that we have today way back into hundreds of years before Jesus was alive. Mm-hmm. When they found the Dead Sea Scrolls and they were able to confirm, oh, the same things Isaiah teaches now, they've been there for hundreds of years before Jesus was here. And so the same Old Testament Jesus had is the same one we have. We can see that historically speaking. And then we go, and Jesus looked at that Old Testament and he said it was true. So it really hinges on, is Jesus really who he said he is? Did he do what he said he did? And can we trust that the New Testament is accurate, hasn't been changed, hasn't evolved over time, wasn't written in a myth that formed hundreds of years after Jesus was dead and gone and that the Da Vinci Code suggested? Have you ever seen the Da Vinci Code? I have not, no. I actually haven't either, but it's a crazy Dan Brown book that was wildly popular and wildly inaccurate. And so as it relates to the New Testament, here's why I think we can confidently walk through some of the questions people have as it relates to the Old Testament. One of them is the dating of the writings. Y'all follow me? So in terms of 
history, there's several things that I think give us reliable evidence of why we can trust the New Testament. One is when you look at, hey, what's the uh, dating of how long did it take from when Jesus died and left the planet to when we have a actual documented work of one of the gospels or the different manuscripts. So the original letters were written. This is really technical, mm-hmm. but as it's, it's, it's clear as I can. Somebody wrote the original letter. So John, he wrote the book of John. And then Christians would pass that letter out and different scribes on papyrus would rewrite the book of John. And that got translated and got handed over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. Most documents or books or writings from the ancient world, there are hundreds and thousands of years between the time of their writing Mm -hmm. and the time of the latest or the earliest document that we have, the earliest copy that we have as it relates to that. Does that make sense? Like Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, there are hundreds, if not thousands of years for some of those works. The works of Thomas Aquinas, just a bunch of famous people from history. We have no confidence that they actually wrote that. Or if we do, it's based on, you know, something that was a thousand years away from it. As it relates to the New Testament. Can I guess? Yeah. <laughs> Fire away, bro. Um, 35 AD. 35 AD would have been roughly two years after Jesus died. AD? 35 AD, yeah. I thought it started at 30. He died at 33. Uh-huh. So then it's 35 years after 33. No, no, no. It's based on his birth. Oh. Yeah. I never knew that. I, know. I know. Then why is it not called AB? After birth. <laughs> That's a fair question. <laughs> yeah. If you know the answer. <laughs> People actually think Jesus was born four years before AD. Anyways, that's a distraction. Point being, it's not hundreds of years. It's not thousands of years. It goes all the way back to 90 AD. There was a document found that's called P52. It's part of the book of John, John chapter 19, that shoves way back. And the apostle John, we know, lived well into the 90s, if not the 110s, was boiled alive on the island of Patmos, or around that century likely would have passed away, but lived way past the age of the other men and women who wrote the New Testament, which is not hundreds of years. It's not, it's it's a decade at most as it relates to the time. So that's one of those things. In other words, anytime you study myth, you study history, in order for a myth to evolve or be created, there's a few things that have to be required. And one is that everyone who was actually alive at the time of those events has to be dead. Like if I said, hey, um, JD's uh, grandfather, is your grandfather still alive? One of them is. Um, your other grandfather or my grandfather. Hey, he, not only did he live, but he had superhuman strength and he could lift up tall buildings and, you know, run at the speed of light. People could contradict that and say, that's not true. I was alive when he was alive. Like I actually mm-hmm. knew him. I actually was around him. In other words, it's impossible to create a myth that is a widespread believed myth if anyone that was actually still present or living in the time of when that person was living is still existent. And so in order for a myth to even be taken on, it would have had to have taken place hundreds of years or at least a hundred years after Jesus or even more than that after Jesus lived. And we have documents from the New Testament going way back to the time, not of shortly after they lived, but when the Apostle John would have still been alive and still been around. Other reasons why I think we can trust the New Testament hasn't been changed is not just the vast number of the copies we have, but the incredible precision 
because of those writers taking tremendous care that whenever I'm rewriting the book of Romans, I'm going to rewrite it. So it's a little bit like this. If I handed a paper to you and I handed a paper to you and I said, hey, have you and your family go manuscript and rewrite this and pass it to every person that shares our faith. And you would go out and you would go write it and they would take it and they would hand it to other people. You would anticipate that there could be some mistakes that happen inside of that, right? Yeah, and just like if one person is more dramatic than the other, or perception's different from person to person, even if you're like recapping a TV show with your friends, you're going to get different responses based on who you hear it from. Totally. So how do we know then? So one tremendous gift that God has given us is that when it comes to the number of copies we have from the New Testament, if you look at the writings of Caesar, the total number of copies that we have, so I'm using extra biblical works Mm -hmm. as a comparison, we have 10 copies Period. That's it. Ten copies from the ancient world. Okay. The writings of Plato, we have seven copies that, by the way, are hundreds of years afterwards. The writings of Tacitus, who was the main Roman historian for all of the Caesars that lived at the time. We've got 20 copies. Homer's Iliad is by far the most outside of the New Testament and has 643 of kind of these key works. The New Testament has 24,633 today. And that stat is constantly evolving as we discover additional copies that were there. And they have been found in different continents and different places. And to your question, Mm -hmm. well, if I'm playing telephone and one person messes it up along the way, it could get taken like as kids. We played that game and it got passed on to Johnny and you said, I want to go eat... um, you know, sourdough, and by the end, it's Johnny plays with Play-Doh, right? Right, Because it just got missed and missed and missed. Mm -hmm. Because we have so many different copies that have spread in so many different directions and so many different places, we're able to take all of those copies and look, and if J.D.'s strand of the copies is off, we're able to look at it and compare it to additional copies and confirm, oh, he said, like, here's an example. Let me say this. So this is something that in seminary we actually had to study and you study what are the changes that have been made in the New Testament manuscripts, the copies. Mm-hmm. And you hear that and you're like, dude, this is going to be real. Uh, mm-hmm. This is going to be exciting. I'm going to go in and one copy is going to say, you know, Jesus had 12 disciples. The other one's going to say he had a biker camel gang and, you know, <laughs> Thaddeus was, uh, you know, causing trouble on the side. And this one says he died on a was cross. The baddiest. Yeah, baddiest. This one says he died on a cross. This one says he fell off a donkey. This one says Judas was actually plot twist, the hero. You would think some of these would exist. Mm-hmm. The errors that are documented are so boring. It makes one these classes some of the most boring that you have because 99.5% of all of the change, that's an actual little, as it compares to the manuscripts, are the same, wow. which is astonishing. That 0.5%, because then it becomes, well, 0.5, that could be a big deal are either, they fall into three categories. Spelling errors, like there's manuscripts where John, which is Juanus, is spelled with two N's. One is spelled with one. In other words, incredibly like, okay, that didn't solve, you didn't just shatter my faith of like, well, what if John had two N's? Another one would be related to the subtle translations that really have either no meaning on the text. Like here's an example. There's a manuscript from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7 that says, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. There's another manuscript. So these are an example of like, well, these contradict. That says, but we were like infants among you, 
like a nursing mother taking care of her children. And in Greek, the word is one letter difference. It's napioi and apioi. So the question is, was it we were gentle mm-hmm. or we were infants? Well, we look at that and we go, hey, there's more manuscripts that says we were gentle. So in all likelihood, it's that. But what if it's infants? What if there's that one thing that's wrong? Does that change any fundamental belief of what Christians believe? Like, because they could be inferred in the same way. Does it make it that Jesus didn't actually die and didn't actually rise from the dead? Does it affect any core doctrinal belief or teachings of the church? And no. And if you're thinking, well, where's like the really hard one? Where is the, you know, this one was actually a really difficult. We're not exactly sure what it says. They don't exist. They're that small and that trivial. Mm -hmm. And when you compare thousands and thousands of them, we have a vast greater number that says infants on that one example. I'm sorry, that says gentle on that example. But could it have been infants? Sure. But it doesn't change anything about our belief. So in other words, when people tell you, hey, the Bible's been changed over time and it was, you know, we can't with confidence say that. It just is not true because of the vast number of copies and the dating that goes way back in history. And generally speaking, people, that's a smokescreen. So when your uncle brings that up or your friend living that lifestyle brings that up, you're like, the Bible's man-made, a book written by man written 2,000 years ago. It's generally a smokescreen, not that the Bible contradicts itself. It's that the Bible contradicts them and how they want to live. Right. And that's the reason that they're anchoring themselves to that. And just going back to J.D.'s original question, just to clarify for our listeners, um, when he asked, is the Bible written by God or man? Can you just give a very clear answer for our listeners right now? The Bible was written by God through man. Okay. So right now there's a lot of viral videos about the Bible not containing the word homosexuality. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people make the argument that that word wasn't even around Mm -hmm. and that if if you look at the actual translation of the word, I forget what it is. They say it's not even about sexual stuff. Yeah, it's another. It's like pedophile, pedophilia. Yeah, it's some yeah. some word. So, what do you say to that? Basically, the argument is, hey, it was referring to a different type of homosexuality, and that this was not a committed relationship and a marriage and a union in terms of what the Bible was referring to. This is not something we believe. But the argument goes like, when the Bible brings that up, it's not talking about, it's talking about sexual activity outside of the context of a marriage. And so in that day, pedastry was a very common thing where men would, it's, it's honestly pretty disgusting, where men in the name of mentoring and um, uh, influencing younger men would have homosexual sex with them, which was accepted and really widespread in the Roman Empire. Side note, the Roman Empire sexually, when people go, oh, that's so outdated and the Bible is so behind the times, Roman sexual ethic makes ours look like Happy Days, the the TV show from the 1950s today, and that it was just wild orgies, prostitutes, sex with prostitutes in order to worship God. So point Mm -hmm. being, the argument goes, hey, it's referring to that. And there's not, I think they are jumping through hoops in order to establish something that they really want. And there's a number of books that, in my opinion, when you read them and they're written by men who living who are living in same-sex relationships or living in same-sex marriage, and they make that argument, historically speaking and linguistically speaking, is bankrupt. And that the Bible is referring to, just like it is with sex outside of marriage or adultery, it's speaking with 
God created man and male and female for the context of marriage to come together. And God's entire design would be that male and female both are a reflection of God. And the union of marriage is between male and female. And you're not just having to jump through the hoop of the word Paul used in 1 Corinthians 6. You got to jump through the teachings of Jesus in Matthew 19, Matthew chapter 5, Luke chapter 19 on what marriage actually is, which is a union between a man and a woman. Okay, David, I have another question for you about the Bible. So if people are listening and they're like, okay, I understand what you're saying, but also I know that there's many different versions of the Bible. There's NIV, NLT, Message. There's a ton of different versions. So how do we know that all of them are reliable? And what would you say, from your opinion, is the most reliable? Yeah, haven't we done one on this? I think so. Translations? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a good question. That is a great question. I think whichever translation you're going to read is the one that you should get. If somebody said, hey, um, help us understand. So translations are, as the English language evolves, mm-hmm. there can be a more precise breakdown of the interpretation of the Greek, which the New Testament was written in, Hebrew and the Old Testament, into the current lexicon of how people speak. So the reason why I don't think King James, which is a has been a gift to the church in the King James Version, is because no one speaks that way anymore. In other words, no one says... Thou saith, mm-hmm. and my dearth beloveth. Right. Like, we don't speak like that. And so that one wasn't inaccurate at the time. I'm not saying that. It's no longer consistent with the evolution of the English language to where it is today. And now we don't say theeth. We say they. Yeah. So that's a high-level picture of why some are written in Shakespearean English or Victorian English. And then you have some that are um, more—there's word-for-word translation, phrase-for-phrase translation— and then there's a paraphrase translation. Right. So word for word would be English Standard Version or the ESV, which in my opinion is the most accurate. Mm-hmm. Then there's a phrase for phrase, which is an attempt to not change anything. But if I said, hey, let's go eat dinner and then we'll go play volleyball. And somebody took a lot, came along and said, hey, we're going to go play volleyball after we eat dinner. You would say that's still representing the intent and the actual meaning of what's being said. But because Greek Greek flows differently than English, yeah. there's times where um, the um, presuppositions, or not presuppositions, prepositions, different things are just in different order. So the ESV reads a little clunkier in English, but is more accurate, exact, versus the NIV reads a little smoother in English mm-hmm. because it's taking the phrase and the heart and the intent and the meaning of the text and trying to translate it in a way that's easier to digest in English, none of which changes the meaning of the text. Then there's something like the message version, which is a, a I think is a gift to the church, probably needs to be updated because sometimes it's like, it feels like it's written from the 90s or 2000s because it feels, I think it is. But it's like, yo, bro, and Jesus yeah. was with his guy. It's like telling a story, yeah. very plain language. Yeah, and there's, there's a, you know, th- that's not a bad thing, but it's more of a commentary because Eugene Peterson, who wrote it, takes some liberties um, and interpretive stances on things. But if you're going to read the ESV, the NIV, NASB, the NET, the NLT is more of a, a paraphrase, mm-hmm. but I still think it, it reads so clearly that it's, it's really helpful and is you'll almost always see a footnote 
if there's a interpretive stance being taken by a footnote, I mean like you'll see a little two yeah. go down the bottom and say commentators disagree on whether this was infants mm-hmm. or was gentle. To use that earlier example, anything yeah, y'all would super add? Super helpful. No, that's good. I do think some people question if the message is the message translation is reliable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's fair. Well, and that's what I meant by that. He takes some yeah. interpretive liberties. That is basically his kind of interpretation of something. But I, it's not a far stretch. It's within the fairgrounds of, hey, this is this is what a lot of people interpret this as. That's good. Any more questions? Guys, you can trust the Bible, okay? You can. Pick it up. Read it. Trust it with your life. Trust it with <laughs> your life. Man, that is all that I, say, I have to say. Um, if you got questions, email us as always at info at theporch.live. We'll see you next week on another episode of Views from the Porch. Thank you for listening to Views from the Porch. For more information about The Porch, follow us on social media or visit us at theporch.live. And as always, go in peace and love to serve the Lord this week.